0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. What we do, we do without them, you see, we're doing a bit of retail therapy at the moment. And uh, we are looking at some of the major marketing campaigns of Christmas Because I've been asking the question, who the heck writes these advertising campaigns each and every year at Christmas? I think one of the qualifications is that you have to come up with catchphrases that make absolutely no sense Whether it be the power of give, what the heck did that mean last week from Maya uh, Or tonight bringing Christmas together, I'm glad that Woolies is bringing Christmas together But the problem is that I've been saying each and every year at Christmas is that the story of Christmas is always increasingly coming under cultural captivity. And that is, it's, it's being captured by the ad people all the time. And part of the reason is that people want the, people want the principles of Christmas. They don't want the person of Christmas. And they want the love and the joy and the peace and the food. But they don't want... The person of Christmas. They don't want Jesus Christ. I mean, you're not going to go and find Jesus Christ in aisle six of Woolworths. Uh, actually, maybe you could find Jesus in aisle six of Woolworths. It's not beyond the way that he works. But, but they're not going to have him hanging there from the ceilings. And yet, what I love about the ad people is that they, they somehow it's their job to get paid to, to represent the very things that represent us, Right? That an ad person, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, knows that relationship and bringing people together is something that we deeply desire. And so that's why Woolies are bringing Christmas together this year, thankfully. (laughs) And so the premise of this series is that under every great ad line, under every great story, under every great lyric is the ultimate story. The story of Jesus Christ. We call it the gospel. And so my question to you tonight is that what if, as a Christian, you began to observe the things around you, the marketing uh, campaigns around you, what if you began to understand them and observe them and retell and reshape the narrative of how it was really meant to be? More importantly, if you're just checking out this whole church thing tonight, my hope and prayer is that you would stay and you would listen long enough so you'd come expectant, as Michael said tonight, And you'd be willing to look deep enough and long enough that it's not Jamie Oliver that brings Christmas together. It's not Woolies that brings Christmas together. There's something more powerful at work. And so retail therapy it is tonight. Here's what we're going to do. Christmas is a great time to ask those fundamental questions of the Christian faith. How did Jesus come to earth? Why why did Jesus come to earth? And last week we saw, we got the how that God comes to earth, he gives us the gift of Jesus Christ in his son. And then this week we get the why that God, not Woolies, is bringing Christmas together. And so what we'll see in the why is that, um, first we'll look at the problem of bringing Christmas together. Then we're going to look at the pathway to bringing Christmas together. And then we'll look at the power of bringing Christmas together together. style. So if you've got your Bibles, tablets, whatever digital device you might have, turn to Colossians chapter 1 with me, and we're going to read from uh, verses 19 through to 23. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His side, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. The problem, the problem with bringing Christmas together. As I said, the ads fundamentally tell you uh, what we represent. And what we represent is that we desire relationship. Part of the problem with Christmas is that we want healthy relationships. We want the family to come to the table. We want to have the good times. We want to have the laughter. We want healthy relationship. And yet we live in a world that it's so hard to get it, Right? We live in a world where relationships are always blowing themselves apart, where people are always somehow getting jaded and hurt. There seems to be this inexplicable force where relationships are impossible to keep and yet it's one of the greatest needs of your heart. It's so tough to keep relationships together. And as a result, Christmas gets real, I don't know, messy if we're real. It's sort of like this family here. Let's take a look at this clip. Goodbye, Daniel. Oh, come on, Baby. My name's Dan Moody. I live in London, but every year I come home for Christmas. Mr Moody, welcome to Australia. I'm from Australia. Just tell me you're going to be there in the morning, Sean. Yep, no worries. See what you've done now? You've gone and upset your mother on Christmas Day. Fuck oh, her! You're a lucky man, Hi, I'm Cora. Hayden's your girlfriend, that's right. I'm a long-lost cousin. Hey how are you? Can't do a whole yard with a whippersnapper, you maniac! No one does a Christmas like us. Office is Terry Moody, Australian Customs. I'm the boy's uncle. Who's Reese? He's a uh, crazy uncle in jail. He's out on day release for Christmas. Sean! Ah! Cora, apparently she's thinking of moving to London. Well played, my friends. I'm your brother. You've known him for two seconds. He's my son, Sean. Adopted. I'm biological, Elliot. Pendle. Kevin moody. That's one for the internet. Oh, hey. Bombs away. Don't worry about that. Happens every year. We're breaking into a garage to steal a lawnmower. It's not stealing. It's my mower. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, 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 go drive. Someone mind explaining to me why there's an axe in my bonnet? I'm so angry with you right now. You're all Christmas. Now I, I I hope I hope your family is not as crazy as the Moody's, but is it me or are they just so representative of your stereotypical Aussie real Christmas family? Uh, they're at least representative of mine in so many ways. We've got a crazy uncle and all sorts of crazy stuff going on, but you see. <laughs> More often than not, here, Christmas, the problem with, with bringing Christmas together is it's, it's always, there's always an underlying tension. There's always an underlying craziness. There's always the underlying unspoken stuff beneath the food. Tension, issues, unreconciliation. I know that's not a word, but I just decided to use it. You see, we, we humans quarrel. We fight, we get in each other's faces and there's always this fragile possibility that at any moment the relationships that you find most precious and the ones that you love the most, you're going to wreck. Why is that? Why is that? Verse, verse 21 of this passage here says, Once you were alienated from God. I we're thinking, what the, what the heck's that got to do with the 21st century? Look, the reality is what the Bible says when it looks at families like the Moody's and all that they represent, when it it comes to modern day society, the Bible says your relationships here on earth are unravelling because your relationship with God has unravelled. That is that that humanity in either our conscious or our unconscious desire to have life our own way wreck these relationships that we so dearly love. And so even deeper than that, it means that when it comes to this relationship with God, the ultimate relationship with God, part of the problem is that it might be for you tonight, there's still tensions, there's still issues, there's still estrangement, there's still divides. Now, if you look closely at the family from the clip, you see the problem for the Moody's is not that they shopped at Coles this year. No, the problem is that the issue is far deeper than just Woolies bringing Christmas together. The, the The issue is far deeper. It's an issue that affects your work relationships, and it affects your sibling relationships, and it affects your love relationships. And that is, we've got this burning desire for it, and yet they're so hard to keep all year round, not just at Christmas, all year round. And the reason is, says the Bible, you were first built to be in relationship when we've wandered from that design. You know Genesis in the garden talks about the way that Adam and Eve, before the apple, spoke to God in the cool of the day. Life was designed to be sitting around the table with God and speaking to him face to face. The biblical notion of Shalom or peace literally meant that God intended humanity to be this interwoven tapestry of interdependent and wonderful relationships. You were built for a relationship. That's why we all want it so much. But the problem is there are relational divides. There are divides between God in the first instance. There's d- divides between others then as a result. And so the question is, what, what hope is there for us in all of this? And there's one or two ways you can go. You can either stay with the food, stay surface level with it. Just cook the prawns, put on a smiley face, and maybe you'll get through December 25th. Or you can go deeper. And so we move from the problem of bringing Christmas together to the pathway of bringing Christmas together. You see, how is it that everyone is being brought together according to this passage? It says God is bringing all together, not through food or fun, but he's bringing it through Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 19. It says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. It says then from that point onwards, it says, by making peace, here's a critical one, through his blood shed on the cross. That's that's, that's a funny way to talk, isn't it? Making peace through the shedding of his blood. Sounds like Christianese to me. So let's uh, untranslate all of that. You see, making peace through blood on the cross. What the heck does he mean? Here's what he means reconciliation <laughs> bringing people together costs something i call it the broken vase principle right uh, uh, imagine that it's 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 christmas dinner you're, you're heading to someone's place uh, you've you're responsible for dessert, so you've got an armful of desserts, maybe it's like custard tarts or something, so you've got little toothpicks in the middle of it with a little bit of glad wrap over the top of the tray, so it doesn't wreck the nice top of the tarts, and you're carrying it all in, you've got an armful, and you get into the front door, and you knock on the door with your elbow, and and your host opens up and says, welcome, come in, and and you head in, and you walk into the foyer, and you feel something brush against your arm as you walk into the foyer. And then it's at that point that everything starts to go into slow motion because this beautiful looking ornate vase on the side table in the foyer begins to teeter in slow motion backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards until it slips over the edge of the side table and it heads towards the tile floor and then it smashes into what feels like a thousand pieces. And you're terribly shocked. And what's, what's your, what, what should be your first reaction when something like that happens? Oh, I'm, ter- I'm, ter- I'm terribly sorry. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. I'm so sorry. And, and then your nightmare really begins. Because your host says, look, I, I, I love the gesture, but that was my uh, great, great, great. With, with every great, your heart just starts <laughs> sinking a bit. For, that, that was great. Grandmother's vase. That thing is pre-Napoleonic Wars. That that thing is. It's pr- it's priceless. It's priceless. What do you do? How has your relationship been affected by them? Uh, with them? Now, look. When when someone wrongs you, there's a sense, right? That that some kind of debt needs to be dealt with in order to be reconciled. At that point, the minute the vase is gone, bang, relationship has a divide within it all. It's not just with the possession. It's same for our relationships. Like you've been there. Has someone ever betrayed you? Has someone ever hurt you? Has someone ever said anything against you? What happens? There's, there's a barrier between you, there's a divide, there's estrangement, there's a need for reconciliation, and you can't bring the relationship back together. You can't reconcile bring it as it was meant to be unless that barrier is removed and how do you fix it? You see reconciliation's only affected when someone else pays when someone pays. Whether it's a vase, whether it's a relationship, someone has to pay. And there are two ways for this debt to be paid down. I, I, either you pay for it or the other person pays for it. But 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 either way, someone has to pay. And that's not just true psychologically and with relationships. It's true socially, right? If someone, someone goes out and murders someone, commits a heinous crime and Uh, they're supposed to go to jail they're supposed to pay the debt for what they've done but what if the judge says oh look yeah i I see that you're sorry i see that you're sorry and well okay go free if the judge says go free then at that point uh, the criminal has not paid society's paid either way someone pays Someone has to pay when this wrong has happened. And so a serious wrong always produces a debt, a debt that can't be diminished, a debt that can't be wiped away, a debt that must be paid. And so what that means is that reconciliation, bringing things together, always costs. Either they pay or you pay, but either way, someone pays. And so if it's true for us, if it's true for society, then then how much more is it true with our relationship with God? And you're saying, relationship with God, I I haven't. Hang on, no, what wrong? I haven't wronged God. What have I ever done to God? I mean, I'm a good person and I pay my taxes and I go to church and I pray. I even remember to pray, unlike the rest of you that put your hands up tonight. right? I, I, I try to give to the poor. I try to live a virtuous life. Well, what, what wrong are you talking about here? But you see, when the Bible talks about sin, it's not talking about good people or bad people. It's not talking about heavy praying people or the forgetful praying people. What sin is, from a biblical perspective, it's it's saying that either way, we put our own self interest ahead of that of God. We want we want it Burger King style, have it your way, at Burger King. We want life our way and not God's way. And you and I both know it. That if we if we are in any relationship where we just want it our way, then the debts begin to rack up. If I, during the week, Kristen cooks me dinner, and I says, I say, honey, oh look, it it smells fantastic, but I'm heading out with the boys. It's a nice gesture, but I'm out with the boys, you know a debt racks up trust me a debt racks up okay and look it's true of every relationship you know the the unspoken debt and if it's true of our human relationships then surely it's true of our relationship with god that this self-interest racks up these unspoken debts now can you see the pathway to bringing christmas together from god's perspective there was an unspoken debt from God's perspective, his relationship with humanity because of sin had incurred a cost and someone had to pay. And then Christmas starts bringing it all together. That enter Jesus, enter this baby who becomes a boy, who becomes a man, who brings and gathers this community together to show the world how life is truly meant to be lived. And then he goes to the cross and his hands are nailed. And here we go, blood is spilt and a debt is paid payment is made you see what is the cross this funny symbol of christianity it seems funny to talk about it at christmas but we must you know what the cross is it's god saying you know what i'll pay someone's got to pay (laughs) we're not getting anywhere with our standoff this christmas i'll pay i'll absorb the debt for sin myself christmas is god saying the vase is broke and it was priceless. And that there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to pay it back. You don't have the comprehension. You don't have the capacity. You, you don't have the funds to be able to fix this. And therefore, I will come down. And therefore, I will become just like you. And therefore, I will go to the cross. And therefore, I'll pay so you can come to my table. <laughs> Christmas is God saying, I'll pay friend are you standing are you standing in the foyer of his house tonight are you either aware that your relationship with god is broke are you aware of the extent of the damage or are you fully aware and this is what most religious people do you're fully aware of the extent of the damage and you spend your entire lifetime scrambling around on the floor trying to pick up every piece and put it together with a bit of blue tack And the story of the Bible is saying that approach is never going to be good enough. And because it never could be good enough, someone's got to pay. And God moves first and he says, I will. That's the gospel. God says, I'll pay. He comes in. That's the pathway to the table tonight. Stop standing in the foyer. The problem, the pathway, and now the power of bringing Christmas together. Speaking of foyers, friends, not too long we're about to go to the dinner table together we can start to smell the turkey the glazed ham the bonbons are out the lights are up the tickets have been purchased and i guess look here's all i here's all i want for you to do tonight as we head to this christmas dinner as a church i want you to look around i want you to look around you when we're eating our honey glazed ham and the beautiful succulent turkey Look around you. Look, look at this place where there is Caucasian and there's Asian. When there's young and when there's old and when there's white collar and there's blue collar and there's people from the eastern suburbs and the western suburbs. Look around you tonight. Look at what's happening in this place. You see people from outside of that say, where in the world do you get a club like this? And the thing is, it's it's not a club because every club, everyone's united only around one particular common interest. You are like tennis, so you all play tennis, you're part of the club, but there's 3,000 other different differences. But the church is radically different from a club because even in spite of those differences, there's a oneness and there's a commonality that transcends all of that. That's the power. That's the power of bringing Christmas together. You see, the... God's way of demonstrating his power in the world today is not by pillars of smoke and pillars of fire and not necessarily miracles on every street corner. The way that he demonstrates his power in the world today is by bringing together this family, this bunch of people who are radically different, ethnically different, socially different, economically different, geographically different and putting them around a table. That's... That's how he does it. And when the world watches in, they expect it to blow itself apart like every other different club. (laughs) And yet there's joy. And yet there's understanding. And yet there's embrace. And there's unity. (laughs) And it all begins to unfold. And they see it going on and on and on for generations. And they begin to say, what the heck is going on here? (laughs) And see, we often think that the Christian community, the church is a result. Of the gospel, it's what happens when you believe the message of Jesus, and funnily enough, in itself, it's a communication of the gospel, of the power of bringing Christmas together. The gospel is this: if God made the first move to absorb the cost of His and your differences, then you can make the first move to overcome yours with others. That's how Christians bring Christmas (laughs) together—not the food. (laughs) That is, when, when you know that your place at the ultimate table in heaven is secure, then you can be f- the first to bring others to your smaller tables in the meantime. And so there is some simple application for all of us tonight. Here's how we'll bring Christmas together in a way that the world will see and seem inexplicable. Here's the first one. You've got to be reconciled to your brother or to your sister. And I'm not talking about your family brother or sister. I'm talking about your brother or your sister in this house tonight. That that if God's way of demonstrating his power is by bringing radically different people in to be unified with each other. Then you need to take the gospel and apply that to your own heart. That that if God has gone to such lengths to reconcile himself and, to, to you and yourself to him, and you stand upon that as a Christian, then who are you to withhold reconciliation from your brother or your sister in Christ? If God did all that, who are you to do that? And friends, it, pa- it pains my heart because we say, look, we're not, the per- we're not the world's most perfect church. And I say it hurts my heart because I know that there are people in this place tonight, in this house, in Northside Community Church, who are unreconciled, who, 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 who have been in a, in a standoff for weeks or for months or for years saying they're the ones that are going to pay. Friends, Jesus said it was so important that he said in Matthew 5.24 that even if you are in worship and you recognise in this moment by the Holy Spirit that you're not reconciled to your brother and sister in the church and leave the auditorium, <laughs> go work it out, and then come back, sing the songs, listen to the message. That's how serious he was about it. Because he says, you know, John 17, 20, you know, Father, uh, Father, may they be one and so that the world might know that you have sent me. He said, Father, the very way that the world will know that I am of you and I am out of this world and that the church is out of this world is through their unity. So the first step tonight is who are we to be a community that's different if there's a lack of reconciliation amongst us as brothers and sisters? Here's the other quick application point is that is not only be reconciled to your brothers and sisters in the house here, but be reconciled to others. I've struggled with this this week because I've had family members that as we got to this Christmas season last year decided to forward on the emails as as to what we should bring and they'd forgotten that they had been... Oh, what's the word I was going to say, the B word, that, uh, that wouldn't be a good way to do it, uh, They'd be gossiping about all the rest of the family members uh, to someone else and they didn't realise that they had re-forwarded the five pages of gospel backwards and forwards to all the rest of the family members <laughs> saying, can you bring the turkey and you, can you bring the ham and so on and so forth. And, uh, and that, is, that is paying me for 12 months and, and as I said, God always makes me work this out in my own heart and that person, that family member this week. I wouldn't be applying the gospel to my own heart. That family member will be catching up in the new year and having a barbecue together and processing that through. What I'm saying is that, look, it's not just me. I'm just guessing. I don't know about you guys, but, but surely there's one or there's two others in your life this Christmas where the relationship's strained, where there's a divide, where you're estranged. You see, God is bringing Christmas together, not just in the church, but in the world. That he sends his people into the world to make the first step, and more often than not, uh, people sit there at this standoff and they say, "And I don't know how it is for you. That you say that there are debts that I, I didn't, I didn't wrong, I didn't break the vase. I didn't do this." And they better say sorry, and we harbor bitterness, and, and, and we harbor all of these emotions. And you say they must pay, or I won't move. They must say sorry. And the irony is, God never said that. God made the first move, whilst we were still enemies. It says in Romans five, the parallel passage. Christ died for us. He said, "I'll pay." Maybe just, maybe just, maybe this is the season. This is the year for you to go to that person, regardless of whether or not you were the one that racked up the debt and said, "You know what? <laughs> because someone else has paid a much bigger debt." I'm willing to absorb the cost of our smaller debt. Come in, friend, and sit at the table. Finally, there's another area of reconciliation that is the most critical of all. And that is, are you reconciled to God? Are your I don't know, the litmus test is, are your relationships unraveling? Is there a strain? Is there an estrangement? Is there, is there a, f- a funniness? Is there a, a, a constant unraveling in the relationships around you? Could I ask you, are you reconciled to God tonight? Have you sorted that relationship out tonight? Do you stand at the foyer because you think that it's broke? You think that you've had a quarrel with God for years? You think there's distance when he said, look, the price has been paid. He sits in the lounge room the block of Mersey Valley cheese and some Jats and he says just come, just come in will you I've already sorted it out whatever quarrel you've got with God tonight don't miss the opportunity to be reconciled to him come to him look at what it costs for the debt to be paid come to him tonight that's how he'll bring Christmas together the problem as we finish is that we mistake the means of the worlds for the ends." We think it's Jamie Oliver. We think it's the food. The food's not the end. The bonbons are not the end. The lights are not the end. The table itself is not the end. Those things won't bring Christmas together in a way that will last. We all know that. We all play in that game this Christmas. The difference between a Christian and a non-believer tonight is when they go to the meal, even this meal that we're about to go to, the difference between a Christian and a non-believer. A non-believer will go to the meal and go, the food's nice. A a Christian goes to the meal tonight and says, man, God is powerful. They look around. How the heck did this happen? (laughs) How the heck did he build this crazy mishmash of all sorts of different types of people that is called the church? Look around, young, old, Caucasian, Asian, (laughs) eastern suburbs, western suburbs. How the heck did it happen? Look, it sure as heck didn't happen because of Woolies. Verse nineteen. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ, and through him reconcile to himself all things. May you be reconciled to the reconciler this Christmas, and may you be part of God's plan to bring Christmas together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is power in your word. There is there is there is an untapped power that, Lord, we fully don't understand. We won't understand until you take your Holy Spirit and begin to massage these truths into our heads and into our hearts as we leave this place tonight. Heavenly Father, I'm praying for each and every person in this auditorium. I'm praying specifically for those tonight that head towards their various tables of Christmas this year with unreconciled differences. Father, help us as a church to see the much bigger picture of what is happening here, the picture of the gospel, the picture of the great reconciling God. May that be like a nuclear fuel rod in our lives. Bring to our minds and bring to our hearts right now, Heavenly Father, those those around us that we know we need to bridge that gap with this year. Father, may we may make the first move in it all but in all of it father as we head to this special wonderful dinner as a church tonight may we be a church that looks around and may we be a church that doesn't sit in its in the classic cliques of those that look the same that talk the same that dress the same may we be a church as we head out of these doors tonight that deliberately go and find the most different person for who we believe we are to be and say brother sister Will you do Christmas dinner with me? We thank you for the wonderful and the powerful nature of your message, the gospel that has been handed down throughout the generations. Help us live that out in our community life, not just tonight, but for the months and the years ahead. We pray this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.